morning we come as the Pierre Puckets, um, and we're continuing our series on what is new. And this series is really all about change, so it honestly is so fitting that we get to teach together today, because there is so much change in our lives. And we know, each of us, that one of the only constants in life is that it is always changing. For a lot of us, though, we know that it's it's not super common for like everything to change at once. I think it's even reflected in what we're, what we're talking about. You know, Jonathan's still Jonathan, I'm still Rihanna, but we have this new reality that we're living in together. It's kind of like maybe when you think about renovating a home. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Even if we've gotten together for Be the Church and we have renovated a home in our community together. You may notice that, you know, you change out the cabinetry, but then you still have your same ugly, burnt orange carpet. Sorry, Dad. Is that just us? Is that still our, just our house? <laughs> um, you still have that same ugly thing that you hate, that fridge or that carpet or that, that couch, whatever it may be, while you're making all these changes elsewhere. And doesn't that sound similar to our current day lives? That every once in a while we may experience a huge drastic change, like going away to college or moving across to a different state or maybe even losing a loved one that really does shake the foundation of our lives. For most of us, the reality is day by day, just a few things change at once. And it's constantly changing. I think even in my own life recently, I've just not only being married, but in so many other parts of even my work life, things have been changing so rapidly, and yet it's one or two things at a time. Today, we're going to be looking at a letter that Paul wrote to the church in, and I always, I practiced this last night, Colossae, Colossae. Colossi. Oh, gosh. I literally was like, YouTube, Colossi, Colossi, repeating it so I wouldn't mess up here, but here we are. Um, But it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossi. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of it yet. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I'm going to go ahead and let Jonathan come in because we all know that he is really good at anything having to do with history or context. So he's going to kind of set up our passage today where Paul is talking about this concept of change. Um, so if you have your pillows today, um, you can go ahead and pull those out. Uh, we're going to be, ha ha, uh, today we're going to sneak a peek at the, the, this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. The, uh, and the Colossians, were the residents of a city called Colossae in the Asian province of ancient Rome. And so this letter was unlike almost all of Paul's letters. Uh, he, he wasn't verbally abusing his, uh, his congregants. Um, the, it, he, he, he was actually being kind of nice. He, he wasn't lambasting them. He wasn't calling them out for all the sins, all the evil things that they're doing. He, he's mostly just encouraging the Colossians to reorient their lives around Jesus. And and what I find fascinating about this letter is that Paul is speaking to a deeply religious uh, group of people. In the ancient world, atheism didn't exist in the same way that it does today. Uh, 
In fact, like Christians were often viewed as the atheists because they didn't make the sacrifices to the Roman emperor. Uh, it, back in, in the ancient world, everyone had a religion or at least was, uh, was kind of sort of religious. And, and they, they all did and followed the, the rules. They all uh, celebrated the festival days. They all uh, made sacrifices. They did what they were supposed to according to their gods. And so it's not like a lot of people were willfully uh, rejecting their gods or doing what they knew they weren't supposed to. Most of the people were brought up doing things like sacrificing uh, animals to their, to their gods, to their idols, or fighting the right kinds of people. As long as you were fighting the right kinds of people, fighting was fine. As long as you were killing the right kinds of people, killing was okay. Um, and, and so they, they were doing the right things, according to their own, their own religions. But Paul was convinced that Jesus could offer them something so much more than the religions of their ancestors. And, and the thing about Paul is he's pretty convincing. While Jesus was often known for being a, like a really good teacher, a really good public speaker, Paul, Paul didn't talk the same as, as Jesus did. Like, Jesus was really well known for using... Uh, telling elaborate stories or parables or uh, say, like t- talking in riddles uh, for asking really hard questions that most people didn't understand uh, or have answers to. Paul just really liked telling people what to do and giving answers. So, yeah, th- this is Paul. Paul was. Yeah, which is where I jump in. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, right? And I think it's because the, this text that we're going to look at, it begs the question of us this morning. And it's, is there any part of my life where I'm being simply just religious? Do I do, keep doing things just because I'm supposed to or I should? And I think Paul really begins to tease this out in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2, which is right up here. And it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. The next slide. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. So what it seems to me that Paul is asking is, so why are you so concerned with the rules of this world? The human-made do's and don'ts? And, you know, I think we often create rules and regulations because they're important, right? We can't just live however we want to, and that's not even what Paul is talking about here. Rules and regulations and things that we have set up with our human hands are not in of themselves bad. But 
I think we sometimes do it and we create rules and regulations so that we can decide who's in, who's out. It can appear more clear cut. It can appear more black and white. And in some ways, that maybe seems really wise, right? It can appear like we're super pious or super religious because we go to church every single weekend or whatever it may be. You might look like you're nice or friendly or super committed to something, but Jesus and Paul here are pleading with us to actually go deeper, to get to the matters of the heart. And so he goes on to say in verse 5 of chapter 3, perfect, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And then, now just let me pause for a second. Remember, this is Paul saying this to you and not me. So I don't want you to, you know, kill the messenger. This part gets pretty intense. It says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. And as I read this, I was thinking, gosh, this contrast between the do's and don'ts and the very like rules and regulations and then all this really deep and heavy stuff. Why does this sound familiar to, to me for some reason? So I obviously did what every good wife does and I turned to my wise, theologically educated husband and I was like, honey, what, what verse am I thinking of? It's the one in like what Jesus is talking and he in his great strength and wisdom did what every good pastor should do and he went to Google. And we realized that the verse we were talking about is in Matthew 5. And it's when Jesus talks about, not only should you not murder, but even if you have anger against your brother, you have sinned. He also goes on to say, you should not commit adultery, but even if you look upon another with lust, you have sinned. Jesus he came to go deeper with us in all areas of our life. This law, these rules and regulations, they are not, they are not bad in of themselves. But Jesus, he came to fulfill the law. And the reality is, I think a lot of times it's much easier in some ways because it's more black and white to just focus on the don't touch that, don't taste that, don't do that opposed to actually getting to the root of what does it look like to live a faithful life? What does it look like to really get to the root of maybe this lust or this greed that I'm experiencing? So the first thing I want to mention is that um, we all know who the actual wise person in our home is, um, and she doesn't come asking me anything. So... <laughs> I really hope you're starting to see it. I, I hope that you're starting to see that Paul is advocating for a reorientation of our lives. If our desire is to live faithfully, 
not only do we need to change the way we act, the things that we do, but it requires that our entire lives, our motivations, our, uh, the, the moral code by which we live, those all need to be reoriented, to be shifted, to look a little bit more like Jesus's. We can't get away with just following the rules anymore. We can't just uh, do the right things. We can't just be nice. It doesn't cut it. So I, I don't know if anyone, I, I forgot to put a picture up there, but did anyone, does anyone remember the, that YouTube video that went viral a few years ago uh, where the, it was the spoken word artist and he was, it was titled, Why I Love Jesus and Hate Religion. Do you guys remember that? No? The, so it, this spoken word artist was just, it, it, I remember this because he was so passionate, and, and he still is so passionate. He's currently a pastor. Um, but I remember in college, we spent like three days of classes debating this video on, okay, well, what's he trying to say? Like, he loves Jesus but hates religion. Can you do that? And, and I think we're getting it wrong there. Um, but I, I think it's so funny that, that we spent so much time debating that because I, I actually, I really do disagree with his premise. I, I love Jesus and I love religion. I, I love the church. I, I'm a pastor at an amazing church, and so maybe it's just really easy for me to love the church. Um, you guys are pretty awesome. Look how beautiful you guys are. Um, and, and, and while I disagree with, with his premise, while I don't think that we need to love Jesus and hate religion, I think he got a few things right. Um, most importantly, I, I think he, he was able to point out the ways in which our faith in religion has failed us. Let me say that again. I, I think our faith in religion has failed us. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to come and follow rules with me. He, he told his disciples, come and, and follow me, Right? Paul and Jesus, I think, are call, calling us to live more than just religiously. I think they're inviting us to live faithfully. So many people think that they can live faithfully by themselves. I, I know I have. I've been guilty of this in the past, um, especially when I was uh, a, a new follower, a new believer. I thought I could do it on my own. Um, but I, 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 do, I don't think that we can actually do that. I don't think it's possible. And I know you've heard a thousand sermons on community, and there's a reason, because the Bible talks about community a lot. Um, but we human beings tend to hide our sins. We tend to keep our skeletons in the closet, because we don't want our brothers and sisters. We don't want other people to think less of us. We follow the rules, or pretend to follow the rules sometimes, uh, just so we can stay on the inside of whatever group or community we we're currently a part of. But I think Paul instructs us to live in a different type of community. He says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self. You and I, if we belong to the same community, if we're both being stripped of the, self, of the same old self, and putting on new clothes, if we're both attempting to put to death things like fornication and greed and anger, malice, abusive language, why, are we, why do we keep trying to hide these things from one another? Why wouldn't we share our burdens? 
Why wouldn't we confess what's hard in our lives, what, what we're struggling with, especially if this, the next part of this is true? He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. This renewal, this new clothing that, that we get to put on is the image of Christ. Through this renewal, we're being made to be more and more like Jesus himself. So again, why do you and I, why do we often attempt to keep ourselves, our struggles, our temptations secret? Why don't we share our burdens with one another? Why, why don't we choose to confess to one another? Confess those things that are hard even knowing that we all belong to, uh, even knowing that we are all being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator, Jesus. We're all going through that same renewal. And I think it's because we're invested in a culture of self-righteousness. To borrow a, a, a phrase that I hear from Pastor John literally every day in the office, um, I think we belong to a culture that wants us to be right instead of get it right. Have you guys heard Pastor John say that before? No? I, Randy's saying no. I see everyone else saying yes. Randy, you need to stay awake in church. Um, <laughs> this culture of self-righteousness, I, I think it's created division in the body. If you don't believe me, I, I have, let me ask you one question. Has your pursuit to live rightly, according to your own moral code, ever led you to anger or malice for those who don't? Let me say that again. Let me, has your pursuit to live rightly ever led you to anger or malice for those who don't? Have you ever been angry with someone because they aren't living in a way that matches your moral code? Because they're not practicing the same type of religion that you are. As for me, I experienced that last week. Um, experienced that when we were writing the sermon. Uh, I, I joke about that. It was honestly a lot of fun. It was really hard, but it was a lot of fun writing with my best friend. And when we commit to this culture of self-righteousness, when we allow it to, to mold us into its own image, the church weakens. It fractures. It becomes sterile and frail. It's no, longer to, it's no longer able to propagate itself, to give birth to, to new believers, new followers of Christ. When we commit to this culture of self-righteousness, we might as well just demand that Democrats worship over there, Republicans over there, poor people back there, adults up here, kids in the middle somewhere. Um, it, it, I, I think it, it divides us. It keeps us broken and frail. And I think that there might be some of us who think that, that that's, that's exactly how it should be. But I think that Paul um, would say that, that that's 100% wrong. It's 100% in opposition to what God's plan for his creation is. He says, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave and free, but Christ is in all and is all. Can I just get an amen to that? Like, 
Do you think that's powerful? Like, the, 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 the body of Christ is meant to demolish divisions. It's meant to exterminate those, those barriers between us. And a lot of us might think, well, then we need to do that in the rest of the world. This is meant for people that are being renewed. This isn't for the rest of the world necessarily. This is for those who, who are being renewed in the image of Christ, who have chosen to follow him. And, and what I found so fascinating when I was re, re, researching this and reading this was Paul says almost the exact same things in the book of Galatians, in this, his letter to the people of Galatia. He says that we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is, this is the last thing I'm going to say, but I think that Paul is infatuated with this idea that when I choose to be baptized, it's not just some symbolic ritual. I'm actually clothing myself with Christ. I'm becoming more like him. I'm choosing to rid myself of what my old life represented, of these old blemishes, of these old things that, that are evidence of my devotion to the world, and I'm putting on the clothing of Christ. Because my renewed identity as a child of God, my outward, interaction, uh, my outward interactions with the rest of the world are going to begin to reflect the inward renewal, the inward change and transformation that I've experienced, whereby I begin to look a little bit more like Jesus, just like you have begun to look a little bit more like Jesus. When I was in elementary school, it's working. Okay, there we go. <laughs> when I was in elementary school, I actually had a not so good reputation. My mom worked at the same elementary school that I went to, so if you can imagine little rule following, curly haired, glass, glasses, Rihanna, whose mom worked at the elementary school, I was known as a tattletale and a know it all. <laughs> and I had a, a very strong reputation of also not being very nice to the boys, but I still ended up with the boy roommate, so we're good now. <laughs> we worked through it. But I have this distinct memory of being in sixth grade. I, I like literally, I think I was sitting on my couch, and I remember thinking about how I wasn't very, very liked. And I thought, you know what? I gotta change this reputation I have. I want to be nice. I'm going to be nice to people. So literally starting like sixth, seventh grade, I had this reputation of being really nice. So much so that when I'd walk through the halls at school, I was known for if I knew you, I'd go, hi, and I'd give you a hug every single time. So I'd literally be walking down the hall, hi, hug, hi, hug, as I walked down the hall of my middle school. And that was great, and it worked for a while. But then... In high school, Jesus captured my heart, and I started to follow after the Lord. And I remember that as I began to follow after Christ, this idea of being nice didn't feel right anymore. It felt like 
I was trying to follow the rules of what it kind of looked like to be a kind of good person so that other people would like me. And I started to ask the Lord, how can I be like Jesus in every situation? What would that look like? And sometimes that means that I'm not always liked. (laughs) But it does mean that I'm no longer trying to follow these rigid outlines of what I think a Christian is supposed to be like. And I'm starting to ask Jesus, what does it look like for me to be like you wherever I go? And I think this is good that God's been working on this with me because he desires so much more than just our rote rituals, our our ability to try to be nice. I mean, I don't even think the Bible specifically talks about niceness. It talks about kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So if we read further... Paul is kind of closing out this part of the chapter of, uh, to the Colossians, and he says this to them, and it's so good. <laughs> so he- hear it today. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourself, adorn yourself, I like to think, with love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's like so beautiful. It's so poetic, right? How could you not love that? But I really like this because it starts out so good. It starts out with this statement that I think was probably very radical for the ancient audience. It says, as God's chosen ones. Now, if you remember, in the Old Testament, God's chosen ones were the Israelites and the Israelites only. But this audience, this was composed of all sorts of kinds of people. There was even the thing where it said the Scythians. I read about the Scythians, and they were like really brutal people. They would like, sorry, this is so graphic. They would, oh, I don't know if I can say it. They were really brutal people, okay? (laughs) Let's just go with that. So you've got the Scythian, you've got the slave, you've got the free, you've got the Jew, you've got the Gentile. And how sweet it must have sounded to them to know that because Christ had come, they were all chosen, each and every one of them. Not only were they chosen, but they were holy and they were beloved. It's really awesome that Paul does this right before he then kind of gives them this exhortation, this clothe yourself with things. He's wanting to remind them once again of their true identity as chosen ones of God. It's almost as if this passage says, hey, Because your identity is in Christ, you're already clean. So why do you keep putting those dirty clothes back on? It's like going to the gym, taking a shower, and then putting the gym clothes back on. None of us would do that, right? (laughs) 
We literally talked about this last night. He's like, when I was a wrestler in high school, sometimes I would forget my clean clothes and I would take a shower and then I have to put them back on. I was like, that's disgusting. My dad's a wrestling coach. I know how dirty and gross those guys get. So anyways, it's in this passage that we realize that compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, that was the outfit that was always meant to fit. And while we're wearing compassion and patience and all these things, it can feel a little less rigid than those really strict rules and regulations of exactly how we're supposed to be all the time. But if we're being honest, and if I'm just being honest, and even as I've sat with this passage, it actually feels a little less safe than the rules. It feels a little less, like, it's less like a barrier, right? And it's this clothing. I think it's because if I'm concerned, right, mainly with with being correct or right, I dare don't let humility ride shotgun with me. Because then I might actually have to go through the painful process of realizing that I might be wrong about some of the things that I've always thought I was right about. I might have to realize that maybe my perspective is one of many. If I'm concerned with being right, I don't dare take, let compassion take the wheel because then I actually have to care for and be nice to people. Not even nice, sorry, let's not use that word. I have to care for and feel the emotions of those who maybe I don't even really like. If I'm concerned with being right, I dare not let patience sit next to me in the front seat either, or even in the back seat. Because then I actually might have to have faith. I might actually have to pull on that faith muscle, which is a lot more challenging. And this is exactly why I think the very next verse, right, so it talks about clothing ourselves with all these things, and then suddenly, Paul's suddenly talking about forgiving people. And I think that makes sense that it's literally right afterwards. And it's because while the barriers and divisions begin to melt away when we find ourselves renewed in the image of Christ, right? As we, as we, as a community, find ourselves renewed with Christ, I don't think that means God was like, it's going to be so easy. I think as the divisions begin to melt, it gets really messy, Paul knew that when the Jews and the Gentiles and the Republicans and the Democrats and the men and the women all worshiped together, that it would not always be easy. There would be hurt and pain and confusion and frustration, but ultimately there would be way more good. Way more good because of it, because Christ's love bound them all together. That last verse says, says um, it's, what does it say? Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this is the love that this specific verse is the word that, that is often used to describe Christ and God's love for humanity, the self-sacrificing love. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to just even ask you, what does this renewed sense of of living a faithful life opposed to just a rigid, rote religious life, 
what, is, what does that mean to you? Maybe as the worship team is playing, maybe just start to ask yourself that question. How does this renewed life you have received empower you to live a faithful life? And I don't know why, but when we were sitting up front here and we were worshiping, I just felt like God wanted to say to someone in here, so I'm just going to go for it. You have not jumped fully in because you think you're supposed to, Christianity is about rules. You're hesitant because you were told that God is going to smite you when, you when you fail or mess up. If you are thinking that here today, in any part of your heart, I just want to tell you that Christ, like Jonathan said, didn't say, follow the, follow the rules that I'm following when you come with me. He said, follow me. He asks us to live faithful lives, not religious lives. And while religion is good and we love religion and it's, it's a foundation and, a, and it's structure that we're able to move forward in, in the world, let's not let that be our God. Let's not let that put the barriers between us and Christ. And so if you are here this morning and you are thinking, you know what, I've always had this image that the church is about rules and regulations, I invite you into something so different because this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is inviting us into faithful lives, lives where we're, we're not driven by being nice, but by being kind and compassionate and humble. He's inviting us into this messy, beautiful work that he's doing. And so if you think that you're too messy or you have to do all the right things, straighten up to be able to be invited into this life with, with Christ, that is not true. So I don't know if that was even just for me, <laughs> but I'm saying it because I heard that this morning and I just wanted to remind you of that. And so I'm going to pray for us and then I'll let the worship team take it away. Lord God, as we come before you today, we thank you for um, the fact that we get to follow the image of Christ, the person of Christ that came to this earth and lived among us so that we could be in relationship with you, God. I pray that through this life that we live, this life of faithfulness, God, that we would break divisions amongst us. God, would you, would you knit us together in love, in harmony, Lord? Not that everything would always be easy or that we wouldn't make mistakes, but God, that you would still reign in all of that, Lord, that you would... Um, just be in relationship with us, that you would guide us along and that we would just be able to follow this, this Jesus, Lord, that, that, that was so faithful to us. Um, we get to be invited into this life of faithfulness. So I pray for each member as they maybe fill out their connection cards with prayer requests. I pray that you would just bless each person in this room and that we would grow closer to you today, Lord, and that we would let those barriers just melt away that we could be closer to you. We love you.